0: After months of waiting, we finally know who the Orioles' number one overall pick is, and it's the shortstop from Oklahoma, Jackson Holiday. The O's make four picks in the first day of the draft on Sunday night, plus lose a series and lose their winning streak to the Tampa Bay Rays. I'll break it all down coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are locked on Orioles your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, July 18th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at the Orioles' day one of the 2022 MLB draft. As they take Jackson Holiday with the first overall pick, we'll talk about who they took at pick number 33 and 42. And if they take it by the end of this recording, pick 67, but that went a little too late into the night for me, so we'll get to that one on tomorrow's episode. And then... I'll be recapping the three-game weekend series for the Orioles in Tampa Bay at the Trop, where they lost two of three to the Rays, lost their 10-game losing streak, and that is how they finished up the quote-unquote first half of the season. But I'll get to all that coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by BlueNile.com. Make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And going on now is the Blue Nile anniversary sale. Save up to 40% on classic fine jewelry pieces and 25% on engagement ring settings. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. So we're starting off this one with the Orioles in the MLB draft. And as we have known for months and months now, the Orioles had the number one overall pick in the 2022 draft. Michael Eyes continued to say there were five names that were coming up in the draft room. The question became... Who would the Orioles pick? Well, we waited and waited and there was never a leak out of the Orioles camp. And at about 7.15-ish Eastern time on Sunday evening, we finally found out who it is. Jackson Holliday is the Orioles selection with the number one overall pick in the draft. Now... The other guys in contention certainly were Drew Jones, Tamar Johnson. It seemed like Brooks Lee and maybe even Kevin Parada were in the mix as well. But the Orioles went with Holiday. And this was not, you know, some sort of quote, under slot pick that the Orioles took. Now, it does not look like Holiday will be getting the full $8.8 million slot value for that number one pick. However, we saw John Heyman report that Holiday will be getting over $8 million to sign for that pick. So the question is, how much will it be? We don't have a clear number yet. We're just after 11 p.m. Eastern Time right now on Sunday night as I'm recording If it's 8.6 or 8.7 million, the Orioles really didn't save much money. If it's 8.1 or 8.2 million, that's significant savings that you can use later in the draft. So we'll see there. But in terms of Jackson Holiday, who he is quickly, well, a high school shortstop out of Stillwater High School in Stillwater, Oklahoma. He was committed to play at Oklahoma State University. Of course, he will no longer go play there for his uncle because of course his dad is Matt Holiday, the longtime big leaguer, You know most uh, well-known for his time with the Rockies and with the St. Louis Cardinals. But Jackson Holliday was named by Baseball America the top high school player in 2022. He hit 685, you're hearing that right, 685 in his senior year at Stillwater High School with 17 home runs and his 89 hits in a 40 game high school season Broke JT Romuto's national high school record for that many hits in that short a time in a high school season. Yeah, he's pretty good. Defensively, you know, he's a shortstop. He's not going to be Jorge Mateo, but it looks like he's going to stick at shortstop long term. He's pretty smooth at the position. A left-handed hitter with a really good-looking swing and a lot of power. And Holiday is a guy who's really rose up draft boards as we got closer and closer. To the draft, You know, six months ago, he was a first round pick, but he was certainly not a top 10, top five guy. We got closer, he got into the top 10. And then all of a sudden, a couple of months ago, with this great high school season, he vaulted himself from, you know, middle of the first round to a potential selection for the Orioles at number one. And that is where the O's go. So you can argue who was the best player in this draft, probably across the board, most places that cover the draft, had either Drew Jones or Jackson Holiday as the number 1 player. I would say more than 50% probably ranked Jones number 1, but Jackson Holiday is a close second in terms of best players in this draft, and the Orioles go with their guy in Jackson Holiday, big left-handed bat, good shortstop, you know, he's got the the defense, the offense, up the middle, everything the O's are looking for, an exciting pick to get 18-year-old Jackson Holiday into the Orioles system. So the O's did have to sit a little bit for 32 picks and three hours later, they finally got to make a selection again at pick number 33 on Sunday night. It was the first pick of the competitive balance round at 33 and the Orioles selected. Well, Mike Elias favorite thing to do since he has taken over as GM pick a college outfielder. And that is who Elias took at number 33. It is the outfielder Dylan Beavers out of Cal, a left-handed hitting outfielder who just like holiday has a lot of power from the left side this year starting and a guy who can really play all three outfield positions hits from the left side hit 291 with a 426 on base and a 642 slugging percentage with 17 home runs this spring at Cal and he's only 20 years old he's a he's a very very young junior at Cal and so you know he's not some 23 year old college player coming in he's 20 not that much older than Jackson holiday. Now the one downside on Beaver, he's got a little bit of a funky swing. He has struggled a bit with breaking balls, especially lefty lefty. And there was talk from outside people that maybe the O's would revamp his swing, but they like the power. They like the ability to get to the ball so much. They like his batter's eye so much. They like his defense so much in center field that they're taking a chance on. If they can manipulate the swing a little bit, he becomes a first round type talent. Now, you know, There were some scouts who were very impressed with him and comped him to a Christian Yelich. And I also talked to a scout who was not impressed with him and called Beavers one of the least impressive players he saw in the Cape Cod League back in 2021. Now, there's been some time since then. There's been an entire college season where he raked at Cal. But, you know, he he is a, a little bit of an up and down pick in terms of, you know, not everybody is sold, but the Orioles certainly are. And listen, they took a guy with a funky swing in Hudson Haskin a couple of years ago. And you know they've been able to turn in, into a guy who's in double A and, and performing well in the system. And uh, so we'll see if Beavers can, can be that kind of guy for this Orioles team. And then, you know, they didn't have to wait nearly as long for the next pick. Just nine picks later, they picked number 42. That was their second round selection in the draft. And the O's went with another college hitter. You know, Mike Elias goes with a high school guy first. Got to fill up on those college hitters after that. And, you know, some people were surprised. There were a lot of good pitchers on the board at 33 and 42. And I think most people thought if the Orioles did save money at number one, they would take one of these many, either high school or college pitchers with either their number 33 pick or their number 42 pick. They went with a bat in either pick. Maybe it's because they didn't save a lot of money with holidays. So didn't have a lot to throw at guys, but there were a lot of injured college pitchers and some good high school pitchers who were there. Now, what we do know about Mike Elias is He hasn't really drafted a lot of pitchers, and especially has not drafted high school pitchers. He's drafted one high school pitcher now in three-plus years of drafting with the Orioles. And, you know, pitchers, drafting them just in general, are much riskier picks. And it seems like the Orioles are set up to basically do this. They're going to draft hitters. They're going to hope some of them become big leaguers for them. And they're going to use the other hitters they draft to trade For pitchers who are already in the big leagues, other teams develop them. They trade for them when they get to the bigs, and that's how they put together a starting rotation. It's not the worst idea in the world. Elias will certainly take pitchers later in this draft, but didn't go with any of these early guys. Instead, with pick number 42, he went with Max Wagner, a third baseman out of Clemson. Now, Wagner, very interesting 2022 year. For most people, they did not have him as a first-rounder. And a lot of, you know, mock drafts and rankings had him probably as a second rounder, but not this high at number 42. But there's definitely data on Wagner that the Orioles like. And listen, he performed this year. He was the 2022 ACC Player of the Year in the second best baseball conference in the country. That's pretty good from Max Wagner. Listen to these stats. At Clemson this year, he hit three sixty-nine with an 8.52 slugging percentage. He hit 27 home runs, which was top five in the country. It tied the all-time Clemson record for home runs in a season. Just mashed the baseball. Now, he has huge power. He also has, you know, some concerning strikeout numbers, which comes with the big power. But what he has is crazy big launch angle and exit velocity numbers that the Orioles are going to love. Mashes the ball from the right side. There's questions about his defense, but it seems like, you know, he's definitely not a shortstop, but that he could stick at third base. But overall, huge, huge power from Wagner, and that's what the Orioles get with pick number 42. Now, the Orioles also picked at number 67 on Sunday night, but I'm only one man. I'm a human being, and I did not want to stay up till about midnight to podcast about the Orioles 67th pick. So you will hear about that pick coming up later in the week. But you'll hear about all of these picks individually, especially all these top picks, with their own episodes throughout the week. We'll talk more about Jackson Holiday tomorrow and Beavers and Wagner coming up later in the week on the pod. We'll have guests on who watch them play all season and get some really in-depth breakdowns on these players. But that is how day one of the draft went for the Orioles. They take holiday. They take college pitchers, or college hitters, I should say. Pretty on board for Mike Elias. But the O's also had some baseball at the Major League level this weekend, a three-game series at the Trop. And unfortunately for the Orioles, the 10-game winning streak came to an end as they lost two of three to the Rays this weekend. But coming up, I'll get you my recap of that weekend series between the Orioles and the Rays. But 1st got to tell you about BlueNile.com, because whether you're ready to pop the question or you're just celebrating a milestone moment, BlueNile.com is the place to go, and we are you know for bluenile.com they're introducing bluenile.com the original online jeweler and you know we're just looking for the perfect piece of jewelry you got to go to bluenile.com it has simple online tools that let you choose the diamond shape size and clarity as well as setting style and they've got you know people on hand 24/7 to help help you answer questions that you might have available via phone or chat you can find that memorable gift at every budget so make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And going on now is the Blue Nile anniversary sale. Save up to 40% on classic fine jewelry pieces and 25% on engagement ring settings. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. So the Orioles, big day on Sunday with the first day of the Major League Baseball draft, getting Jackson Holiday with the 1-1 pick. But Sunday, they also played a baseball game at the Major League level that capped off the, quote, first half of the season, with the Orioles ended up losing the series, dropping two out of three to the Tampa Bay Rays. They lost Friday night 5-4, to four, winning on Saturday 6-4 to four in 11 innings, and then falling 7-5 to five on Sunday in the finale. And the Orioles go into the All-Star break right at 500 at 46-46 on the season. And this isn't our usual Monday episode where I'll usually give my three big takeaways because we also had a draft on Sunday that we had to get to. So instead, I'll go with more of my weekday setting of the podcast here. We'll start with the five things you need to know from Saturday's win, the Orioles' one win over the Rays in this series. And then we'll end with the five things you need to know from the two losses that came on Friday and Sunday. So let's start with the five things you need to know from Saturday. Orioles 6, Rays 4, a final in 11 innings from the Trop, snapped a 10-game losing streak at Tropicana Field for the Orioles. And the first thing you need to know from Saturday's game is that the Orioles' bullpen was just absolutely nails In this one, after Dean Kramer struggled a bit, which we'll get to seven innings from the Oriole bullpen, one unearned run came off of Jorge Lopez in the bottom of the 10th inning when the zombie runner scored to tie the game. They allowed just two hits, struck out six and walked four, but seven innings without an earned run from your bullpen. That is why the Orioles won that game on Saturday. I mean, everybody came out of the pen. And just got the job done. Austin Voth, two and a third scoreless after getting moved to the bullpen for the weekend. Keegan Aiken, a scoreless inning. Dylan Tate, two outs. Jorge Lopez did allow the zombie runner to score in the bottom of the 10th to tie the game after Adley Rutschman's sack fly in the top of the 10th had given the Orioles the lead, but he goes two innings, allowing just that one unearned run. CNL Perez gets two outs in the bottom of the 11th, and then Joey Crable comes in gets the final out with two on and two outs in the bottom of the 11th for his first career save as he got Luke Raley to fly out to left to end the game and everybody combined to do their job out of the pen on Saturday. Now, the second thing you need to know, as I mentioned, is Dean Kramer definitely struggled a bit and did not at all have his best stuff on Saturday. Dean's final line, four innings, he allows three runs on eight hits, strikes out two, didn't walk anybody, and did allow a home run. 79 pitches in four innings, jumped his ERA to 2.59, and he did allow seven hard hit balls on the day in his four innings of work. And you could tell from the beginning, you know, Dean threw 32 pitches in the first inning of this game. Now, he was lucky kind of, Got out of it. Only gave up one run to Tampa in that first inning, but the stuff was just not there. He did have 13 whiffs on 44 swings, five on the cutter and six on the four seamer. What was interesting was he was cutter heavy in this one. He threw 33 cutters, which was his most used pitch, and he basically only threw cutters and four seamers. It was 33 cutters, 34 seamers, and then just nine change ups and seven curveballs for his 79 pitches that he threw. It was an interesting dynamic. The cutter was solid. You know, don't get me wrong. It, it, it was in the strike zone. It was getting whiffs. It had a 33% CSW. He just was a little erratic with command. His, you know, he, you could tell he had no feel for that curveball, which is why he didn't throw it very much. Just a, a forgettable start. He kind of grinded just to get through the four innings, and, and hopefully he can come back after the, the all-star break and put things back together. Third thing you need to know from this one is Adley Rutschman had one of his biggest moments in the big league so far. Adley getting the day off on Saturday. Of course, a day game Saturday after the night game Friday. So he's out of the lineup. Robinson Chirinos was catching. And then the O's turned to him, trailing 3-2 to two in the top of the eighth inning with Tyler Nevin due up to start the inning. And right-hander Jason Adam, who's had a great year out of the Rays' bullpen, coming in. Brandon Hyde goes to the bench, pinch-hitting Adley Rutschman for Tyler Nevin. And what does Rutschman do? turns on a 2-0 fastball, rockets it into the seats in right field for a game-tying pinch-hit solo homer that tied the game at three. What a moment it was, and it was even better that it came off an absolutely horrendous human being in Jason Adam. And just what a swing from Adley to come out cold, his first career pinch-hit homer. You're hoping the first of not many because, you know, he's only going to sit once a week throughout his career, you would hope, so he doesn't have a lot of pinch hitting opportunities, but it was cool to see him take that pinch hitting opportunity that he got late in the game in the eighth inning. And, you know, you're just hoping for him to get on base there and, and get the the tying run on base. No, no, no. He did it all. 96.6 miles per hour off the bat. 371. You know, it wasn't necessarily a no doubter, but hit it out to tie the game. And then Adley also had, you know, a go ahead sack fly in the 10th inning as well, came up big. So, you know, certainly changed the game coming off the bench. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Ryan Mountcastle played hero in extra innings. I mentioned the Adley Rutschman sack fly, which gave the Orioles a 4-3 lead in the top of the 10th. Rays got a run off Jorge Lopez, got the zombie runner home in the bottom of the 10th to tie the game at 4. And the Orioles had to get it done in the top of the 11th, and it didn't look like they were going to. Mountcastle came to the plate with runners on 2nd and 3rd and 2 outs. They had not scored a run yet. And, you know, it's kind of a death sentence if you don't score in extra innings at this point because the other team gets the runner at second and they can just kind of play small ball and usually get him home. But Ryan Mountcastle, two strikes on him, gets a high fastball, just kind of fights one off to right field and dunks it in for a base hit with Mateo and Mullins on base. Both of them easily score a huge two-run single to give the Orioles that 6-4 lead in the 11th. And for Mountcastle, that was his only hit of the day. He was 0 for 4 you know, coming into that plate appearance in the 11th and just didn't hit the ball hard at all, but just kind of dunked that ball in. And, you know, sometimes a little better to be lucky than good. I mean, he only hit the ball 66 miles per hour off the bat, but it worked out for a two-run single and the O's were able to hold it with the win. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the 6-4-11 inning win on Saturday is that Jorge Mateo played a big role in that 11th inning and also had A nice day at the plate, and he hasn't had a lot of those this year. You know, Jorge Mateo, who struggled a bit, hitting right around 200 on the year, but he had a two-for-four in the game on Saturday. Of course, scored the go-ahead run on that Mountcastle two-run single. But Mateo, you know, maybe even had a bigger hit than Mountcastle because, you know, it went four-to-four to the 11th. Rugnet Odor started at second base, and Mateo squared the bunt on the first pitch of the 11th inning. Now, he missed the bunt. And the Rays catcher popped up and picked off Rugnet Odor at second base. Christian Bethencourt threw to second. Odor took off for third. They threw to third base and tagged him out. And all of a sudden, you lose your zombie runner. It's one out with nobody on base. And Jorge Mateo takes a huge swing, cracks the ball off the wall in left center field, comes up with a one-out triple. So basically made it just like the Orioles had bunted because they were trying to get a runner at third with one out. That's what they got. With the Mateo triple, but that was a huge, huge swing, and you know it allowed him to get home on the Mount Castle two-run single. But that was big for Mateo, who's starting to hit the ball a little bit harder over the past couple of games. If he gets on base, he's a menace, but he's got to get himself on base. And that triple is huge for Mateo, still playing elite defense at short, and uh, nice to see the bats start to come back around for Jorge Mateo. But that's how the O's did it on Saturday: their six-to-four win in eleven innings. But that was their only win of the weekend, as they also lost Friday. And they lost Sunday. So coming up next to finish out the pod, get you the five things you need to know from the two losses for the Orioles over the weekend. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net, your one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs, your betting needs, and your sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news for this year's Major League Baseball season, but also MMA, boxing, and golf every weekend, And, you know, you've got motorsports as well. You've got the MLS, you've got soccer, WNBA, a lot of things going on still at betonline.net. They're your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports scores. You can listen to podcasts, get injury news and everything you need this season. So head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action at betonline.net, where the game starts. So the Orioles did win that game, as I mentioned, on Saturday. But that was the only win of the weekend for the Orioles. It started with a 5-4 to loss on Friday, which ended their 10-game winning streak. They get a win Saturday, but then lose 7-5 on Sunday to finish up the series, losing 2 out of 3, 46-46, heading into the All-Star break. And just wanted to sandwich together the Friday and Sunday losses and give you the five things you need to know from those two losses. So, the first thing you need to know is at least on the positive side, Ramon Arias is hitting the ball so well right now for the Orioles. Arias, five for 12 in the three game series over the weekend with two homers, two doubles, and five RBIs. He was big, had two home runs in the game Friday, a solo shot, and then a two run shot late that got the O's back within one. Had two doubles, which were big in the win on Saturday. He is squaring up the baseball right now. We have talked about this with Ramon Arias. He has some elite exit velocities, right around 91 miles per hour he averages. That's better than guys like Pete Alonzo, Paul Goldschmidt, Manny Machado, J.D. Martinez, but he just hits the ball on the ground too much. Well, when he starts elevating the ball like he did this weekend, those ground outs, hard ground outs or singles, what do they do? They turn into two doubles and two home runs, and then he becomes a really dangerous hitter he needs to keep doing that. And hopefully he continues to do that when we come back from the all-star break. Second thing you need to know from the two losses this weekend is that really Friday's loss, you know, some of it boiled down to not getting hits with runners in scoring position. They left the bases loaded twice. But the other thing was it was just a tough sixth inning for the Orioles. They led two to one heading into the bottom of the sixth. Tyler Wells was rolling along. He gets the first two outs of the sixth inning, and then he allows a two out double. So it's, you know, runner on second and two down. He's facing Yu Chang, who had hit him harm twice on the night, but Yu Chang hits under 200. Tyler Wells was right about 85 pitches, and I thought it was the right move for Brandon Hyde to leave him in to try and get Yu Chang. The bullpen was, was moving, but I still think it, it was the right move. And Chang doubles to tie the game, and Wells comes out. CNL Perez comes in. He gives up an RBI double. Rays take a 3 2 lead. Then he gives up just the dumbest home run in the world, a two run shot, shot, I should say, exclamation or with quotation marks. Two run homer by Bethancourt makes it five to two, and the Orioles just couldn't come back from that deficit. The Bethancourt home run was so dumb, just like a lazy fly ball down the left field line that barely gets out, only because the Trop has that weird cutout in left field. And just a little blip on the radar of CNL Perez's great season. But yeah, you can argue that maybe Tyler Wells shouldn't have stayed in the game and they had Perez. And they had Bautista ready. They should have gone to one of them. But even when he went to Perez, he didn't get the job done at all. He could have kept the game tied. I thought it was fine to leave Wells in there. You're not going to intentionally walk Yu Chang or be scared of a Yu Chang who is hitting under 200, even though he's hit you hard twice in the game. Just, you know, threw a change up, left it up, and, and Chang delivered. Shout out to him. But, yeah, just kind of a, a, a tough inning because, you know, Tyler Wells overall – Five and two thirds, three runs, six hits, six Ks, and and two walks on the day. He was pretty close to another quality start. Just couldn't get that final out of the sixth with the back-to-back doubles. And Sixth inning hurt. The Orioles played good baseballer than that, especially pitching-wise. Just couldn't get it done on Friday. Third thing you need to know is that Anthony Santander certainly had a weekend to forget in this one. Now, he did have two hits. Both were doubles and reached on a walk in a two-for-12. It only struck out once on the weekend, but... Did not come up with any big hits really. And the defense was poor. Now, the Bethancourt home run in the sixth on Friday, you know, many are arguing he could have caught that and robbed it as a home run. He did overrun it. It didn't look great, but he was sprinting over from left center field. It was a really tough play. But there were some other plays that Santander could have made that he didn't. You know, had a ball bound off the wall and skipped past him in left field to turn into an extra base. He dropped a line drive, trying to make a sliding catch in left field, had a ball go over his head. Was really struggling out there. It is a big upgrade when the O's go to McKenna late in games defensively. Santander's just slow out there, and he's not a terrible fielder when he gets the ball, and he's got a pretty solid arm, but he can look rough out there at times. When he couples it with you know, a not-so-great offensive weekend, things look a little rough for Santander. He's still a really important player to this team, but it was a little bit of a tough weekend. And Speaking of tough weekends, the fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' two losses at the Trop this weekend is that Cedric Mullins was very mad by the end of this weekend, and rightfully so. He just could not buy a hit. Mullins ended up one for fourteen with a walk and a strikeout, just two hard hit balls in the entire weekend for Cedric Mullins. And you could tell, you know, when he grounded out in the top of the ninth Sunday, trying to start a rally with the O's down seven five, and his couple of popouts on Sunday as well. You know, he he was upset, and really, it all kind of boiled over. Uh, in the fourth inning on Sunday, Jordan Lyles, you know, w- which we'll get to, he, he spots the Rays a 6-0 lead in the bottom of the third, and then the O's come out in the top of the fourth and immediately get back to it. They get some base runners. Adley and Arias have RBI singles. All of a sudden, it's 6-2, to two, and the O's have the bases loaded with two outs for Cedric Mullins down 6-2. to two. One swing could tie it, or he could at least, you know, cut into the lead. And he pops out of the first pitch and just chucks the bat, chucks the helmet, was not happy at all. He's still swinging it well. He's still had a really good June. He's still having a solid July. But, man, he is looking frustrated right now. I think this is a really good time for Cedric to have the all-star break. He can go home, just reset for a few days. He should come back and and swing it well, like we know he can. And then the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' two losses on the weekend is that, you know, Jordan Lyles... That was the issue Sunday. That was the reason why the O's couldn't win the series. They tried their best to come back. They were trailing 6-0. They lost 7-5. I mean, they fought back into this game. Jordan Lyles had his worst start as an Oriole, plain and simple. And coming off of five really solid starts for Lyles, he had gone six-plus innings and in five straight starts. Just didn't have it at all on Sunday at the Trop. Went just two and two-thirds innings, his shortest start as an Oriole, allowing six runs on six hits. Now, he did strike out five. He was getting whiffs. I mean, he did have 10 whiffs on 30 swings with six of them on the four-seamer, but he allowed two homers, two walks, 70 pitches, only five hard-hit balls, but just really did not have it. You can tell he didn't have command of his slider, which is tough because that's been his best pitch all year, and that slider kind of evaded him. And really, I mean, the crucial moment in the game is you know, you're know you trying to grind out a start. You know, it's already 3 nothing with two outs in the bottom of the third. You're at the bottom of the Tampa Bay lineup, which is really struggling with all their injuries. You're thinking, all right, Lyles, just get out of this. Maybe you can give us one more inning and we'll get you out of there. And he gives up a three-run home run to Brett Phillips, who is hitting 140 and hadn't homered in two months. Feels like he hasn't had a hit in two months. I believe he was five for his last 75 before that homer. He's been one of the worst hitters in baseball this year. Hasn't hit a lick. Three-run homer to Phillips makes it a 6 nothing game. And as much as the O's tried to come back, that just just kind of put it out of reach on Sunday. And the O's do end up dropping the series two out of three. Again, 46-46. and 46. They're going to the All-Star break, hey, at 500. Way better than we could have asked for at the beginning of the season. Just... A little disappointing to lose the series, lose the 10-game winning streak that got snapped on Friday. But still, I think, holding their heads high going into this all-star break. But no Orioles baseball at the major league level for four days. So we're refocusing our energy on the draft because day one of the draft finished up Sunday. Day two with rounds three through ten comes up today. And coming up on the podcast tomorrow, I will recap briefly a little bit on each player the Orioles take in rounds three through 10, but specifically, we are going to focus on Jackson Holliday, the player the Orioles took with the number one overall pick in the draft on Sunday. And we've got a special guest joining us who has watched Holiday play in high school for the last three years and knows a lot about the Holiday family. And we're going to learn about Holiday's high school career, his kind of relationship with that baseball family, and what he could bring to the Orioles system as that power-hitting teenage shortstop coming in at pick number one overall. But that's coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your teams, every day.